Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse matters spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And then he goes on to talk about Christ and his character in the rest of chapter 1. But this verse opens and tells us that God the Father spoke to mankind, that God has always interacted with mankind. And in Old Testament times, he spake by prophets and by different men of God who were anointed by the Holy Spirit to declare biblical truth. But in verse 2, it says, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, and of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, from the beginning of time, was preordained to leave his Father's side in heaven. He was God and became man. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross, and he bore our sins in his own body. He took our place. And because of that, we have the, the opportunity to receive Christ our Savior and be saved and have relationship with this great God, that we have life and life more abundantly. God is so good. He's so great. He is so loving, it is overwhelming to think of God sacrificing so much. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today in our studio, we have Jennifer Mays, who is one of our missionaries in Honduras, and she has been sharing with us about her plans for the future. But today I would like to ask her about some of the people that she has impacted with her ministry. Sometimes we have good outcomes and sometimes not. Why don't you share with us what the Lord has put on your heart? Well, as you know, there are a lot of needs in Honduras. It's a very poverty-stricken area. And because of that, there's a lot of gang activity. There is a lot of um, immoral activity that happens on a daily basis. And so one of the reasons why we are there is to try to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ and help bring those children and those families out of those situations. 
But as you just mentioned, there are definitely times when that doesn't happen successfully. And so uh, even just this week, while I've been on furlough, I got an email from the church and the, the pastor's wife shared that one of our kids was arrested um, for, for robbery and was in the local prison. And so his grandmother had come to the church and asked for help. And so, of course, that's what we did is helped. And we provided some food and some clothing that he needed to, to have in jail because down there, they don't get anything. It's not like here in the prison system where they have TV and workout rooms and all of that. Down there, they don't even have food to eat. If they're going to eat, then the family members need to bring them that food. And so we sent some provisions with the grandmother to help that, that boy, even though he was in a difficult situation. Yes, that brings up another issue. We were talking about how a lot of Honduran kids are coming across the U.S. border and flooding into our immigration system in the U.S. Could you tell us about these situations and why these families would want their kids to make that dangerous trek to the U.S.? Well, as, as I've heard several people talking about here in the States, there is a great problem of extortion going on where the gang members will approach a business person, a wealthy person, a bus driver, a taxi, anybody that they feel that they can get money from and threaten their families. And so they will say to a person, if you don't pay us this monthly tax, then we will kill your son, daughter, mother, whoever it happens to be. And they will follow through with it. And so I, I think there are a lot of families who in desperation are trying to get their, their children out of that situation, partly to protect them from from that, but also to get them out of that situation and get them to a better place. And you were saying that they have an expectation down there that when these kids make it across the border, they will have a job and food and they will have an easier life. Oh, absolutely. At least an easier life than they have now. I mean, just like here, jobs down there are very scarce. And when you have a very limited education or no education at all, your options are even more limited. And so they have this idea that if they can come to the States, they're going to be able to find a job in construction or, you know, whatever the typical jobs are for illegal immigrants. And then they will make a lot more money than they did in Honduras and be able to support their family from a distance. Wow. Well, we'll keep praying about that and trust that some way and somehow the Honduran government will find a way to take control over these gangs and the corruption why don't you tell us about some of the positive things that have happened while reaching out to the community? Well, being with the program in the local church, we have a lot of needs that are identified on a daily basis, really. And so some of the things that we're able to do for these families is provide medical care. We have a doctor and a nurse that come every Saturday and see the children. Um, if they need something more extensive, we pay 90% of the cost for them to receive medical care, uh, prescriptions if they need those, because most of these families will not get medical care Otherwise, they don't have the funds to do that. Even though it's inexpensive, they need that money for food. There are many families that don't even have the food that they need to eat. And so sometimes a, a mother will come to me. We had one just a few months ago who came to me and shared that her husband, who was the pro provider of the family, was shot and was in the hospital in the capital city about an hour away, and they had no other means to, to get food. And so we were able to buy some fa uh, food provisions for them and supply the family for a couple of months with the food that they needed until they were able to get other sources of, of, of support. 
We are so thankful for that and so thankful that you have the privilege of ministering to these people. And it's really good to be able to help people in the name of Christ to share with them and when there is just no one else to meet their needs. The Lord bless you, and we're so thankful for your ministry and the way God has blessed you and used you and that God has led you to this mission field and the wonderful opportunities you have to not only help people with their daily needs, but also to share the gospel. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. We want to remind you that this is a listener-supported program, and we cannot continue to be on the air without the support of our listeners. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet entitled The Greatest Commandment for Father's Day. It uh, talks about love, but it also has a lot of information about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. And it talks about how they tried to trap Jesus into making an error so that they could go and crucify him and his answers. And finally, when the scribe comes and asks, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus tells them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And then to go ahead and love your neighbor as yourself. And the love of God is explained very well in this pamphlet. And I highly recommend that you would write in to get your copy of the greatest commandment. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 
Today's message is from Reverend Art Larson and is entitled, Christ's Sacrifices. This sermon is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Printed copies are available upon request. The new preacher was really preaching the gospel in the church. After a number of weeks, a man came to him quite disturbed and said, I'm not appreciating your preaching. And the preacher said, what do you mean? He said, I don't like what you're preaching. You're preaching we have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. The pastor said, well, what's wrong with that? Well, he said, you should be preaching that we should follow Jesus Christ as our example. Preach him as our example to follow. The pastor said to him, if I preached him as your example to follow, would you follow him? And the man said, that's exactly what I'm referring to. So the pastor turned him to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and he read these words, Jesus Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. The man interrupted him and said, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what you should preach, our example to follow. The pastor said, well, can you follow him in the steps that are listed here? The very first one says, who did no sin? Can you follow Jesus Christ in that step? The man said, no, I can't. He said, why? He said, because I sinned. Jesus was sinless, but I sinned. The preacher said, that's why you have to receive Jesus as your Savior first before you can follow him as your example. In studying the passage of Scripture we're studying in Philippians as we go through this wonderful book, we are seeing an amazing and thrilling portion of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation that is found only in him. The Apostle Paul, using Christ as the example, says, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that's his sovereignty, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, that's his servanthood. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that's his sacrifice. Now, today's study is a thrilling portion of Scripture. You talk about hope for the world. You talk about an exciting, bright future. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to this. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul had just explained what Jesus did, which demonstrated the ultimate in putting others first. He left the glory he had with the Father in order to take upon himself a body of flesh and die a horrible death for your sins and mine on the cross as our substitute. But this humiliation was not the end of the story. Because Jesus Christ was willing to do this, God also has highly exalted him. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loved mankind so much, he was willing to live the, leave the highest glory for the lowest estate. As a result, God had exalted him from the lowest estate to the highest glory. And by the way, my friend, this is the principle in the Bible, contrary to everything man thinks today. The way up is down. It's the way of humility. And the way down is up. If you exalt yourself, God will humble you. Jesus had prayed, John 17, verse 5, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. How thrilling when you realize that Jesus Christ had emptied himself, laid aside the independent use of his own attributes as God, permanently became human in a sinless physical body, used that body to be a servant, took that body to the cross and willingly died as our Passover sacrifice, that the story doesn't end there. In fact, God has written the last chapter, my friend. 
and we win. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has written the last chapter, and I repeat it, we win. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When God looked down from heaven and saw what man had done to his son, man had done his worst. God was about to do his best. He raised him from the dead and highly exalted him, giving him the name which is above every name. You see, God raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential, is absolutely uh, thrilling, because without it, we have no hope, no hope whatsoever. The Bible teaches God had no intention of leaving him in the grave. Jesus Christ had died on the cross and went down into the realm of departed spirits. It was an agonizing, excruciating death for our sins, bearing our punishment, taking the wrath of God for us. But God highly exalted him. Resurrection, then ascension, and coronation as King of kings and Lord of lords. The greatest bedrock of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, If Jesus Christ be not risen, our faith is vain, our preaching is vain, we're yet in our sins, and we have no hope. But if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and he is, my friend, this is the greatest truth this world has ever known. When God raised Christ from the dead, he defeated all that ever defeated a human being. Christ suffered death, that through death he might deliver us who were subject to the fear of death and from the bondage of death through Satan. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The resurrection of Jesus Christ turned the greatest tragedy to the greatest triumph the world has ever known. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, and God has highly, highly exalted him. It's just the beginning of his exaltation. Because not only has God highly exalted him, but God has given him a name which is above Every name, literal translation, God has given him the name above every name. When it talks about names, it speaks about authority. God took Christ from the depths and raised him to the heights. He put everything under his feet and gave him the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God looks down from heaven and says, I care not what you think of my son. This is what I think about my son. And he exalted him by resurrection from the dead and to his ascension as king of kings and lord of lords, where he is now seated at the right hand of his heavenly father with the glory that he had before the world was. And then his coronation, king of kings and lord of lords. You see, the Bible teaches that because of that name and that authority, that there is none higher in rank than the Lord Jesus Christ, that every knee, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. You see, the day is coming when everyone will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King of Kings, is Lord of Lords overall. It says every knee should bow here in Philippians 2.10. But it's very obvious in Isaiah 45, 23 and Romans 14, 11, that those who will not bow and acknowledge 
and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King, that someday they will. Even Satan will. Isaiah 45, 23, God says, I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Now, since Jesus Christ is God, and we have seen that in the previous verses, Romans 14, 11 says, As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. No realm will be exempt from having to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. All will acknowledge him, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Things, as it appears three times in this verse, does not emphasize as clearly as it could that these are creatures who must bow, not inanimate objects. All creatures of the universe are divided into three categories, those in heaven, those in earth, and those under the earth. No creature is left out in this threefold division. All people, believers, unbelievers, all angels, holy and fallen, will have to acknowledge submission at the name of Jesus. And although Jesus was a name given to the Lord when he entered the human race, it especially emphasizes his provision of salvation for mankind. Before the Lord Jesus Christ was physically born in the human race, into the human race, the angel of the Lord, remember, announced to Joseph, Mary will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he, for he shall save his people from their sins. In order to be savior of the world, Jesus Christ had to be fully God as well as fully man. Thus the name Jesus represents both his deity and his humanity. Because he is God, he is Lord of all. Because he took on human flesh, he was able to die on the cross and pay the full penalty for sin. And even those who don't, do not believe in him as their personal savior will have to eventually acknowledge who he is and what he has done. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue includes all created beings. None will be excluded in having to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The title Lord to the Jewish mind meant Jehovah God. All these who will bow will not be believers in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, but will be forced someday to acknowledge that he is God. And the word confess literally means to speak the same thing. It means to agree or to admit all must someday agree or admit that Jesus Christ is God, even as they have not trusted him as Savior here. They will have to acknowledge it someday there. Such an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord or God is, as the scripture says here in verse 11, to the glory of God the Father. This is the key to whatever God says to reflect his glory. Even the humiliation and exaltation of Christ, along with eventual agreement by all that Jesus Christ is Lord, results in bringing glory to God. You see, that's why you can't save yourself. You can't bring yourself up to make yourself good enough to be saved. A, a preacher uses a, a, an interesting illustration. He gets some young people together and he says, I'll give you uh, a dollar if you can stand in this bucket and lift yourself off the ground. And they try to do it, and they can't. And he says, well, you give me a dollar if I can do it. And they say, sure. So he quickly reaches over while they're still standing in the bucket and lifts the bucket up with them in it. And they say, oh, well, that isn't what I meant. You see, no one can lift themselves up by their own bootstraps or exalt themselves in their own bucket. But a power outside of them can. Now, the glorious picture of the exaltation of Christ is this, that God raised him from the dead, therefore giving us the Savior of victory and coronated him as king of kings and lord of lords and he alone who died for your sins and rose again triumphantly can lift you out of your bucket of sin 
and make you acceptable to God in the sight of a holy God. People often say, what on earth is the world coming to? Well, here's what it's coming to. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. It's wonderful to live your light in the life in the light of, of this glorious truth. If there's going to be a day that you have to acknowledge Christ as Savior and Lord, why don't you start practicing now? If there's going to be a day when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, why not practice now? I don't want to get away with as little as possible down here. I want to be now what I'm going to be then. I want to start training for what I'm going to be. If Jesus Christ was Lord and is Lord and will be Lord, and everybody's going to admit it, he will settle for nothing less than being the Lord that he is right now. It means my knee must be subjected to him now. It means my tongue must be confessing him now. It means my life must be vindicating him as Lord now. That's why Paul said, let this mind be in you. How on earth is the church going to be different from any other establishment? How are Christians going to be different from everybody else? How can fellowship of believers in Christ show the world which way to go? There's only one way, to have the individual Christian exercise the mind of Christ. Let Jesus be in control of that computer. And what is the mind of Christ? It is this, to humble yourself. God will exalt you. If I'll go to the death of a cross, resurrection will be inevitable. If I'm risen, I will live on a higher plane, and people will begin to see that Christ is Lord. Let this mind be in you. The hardest thing for a Christian to do is to accept the mind and attitude of Christ, to reject their own selfish life. The hardest thing for a Christian is to acknowledge that the way to resurrection is through the cross. The hardest thing for a Christian to admit is the only way for the dynamic of God to be released is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. That's why the Bible says in this passage of Scripture that since you should, and Romans 14 says you shall, why not do it now? Do it now. The way to the throne is through the tomb. The way to the crown is through the cross. The way to Christ's exaltation and the exaltation of millions of redeemed souls was through the agony of Calvary. The way to a life lived in the power of God down here on earth is through humility and bowing the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. Why don't you pray today, Lord Jesus, forgive me, change me. Come and live your resurrected life in me. Lift me up to a higher plane and enable me to walk in complete obedience to you in my life. Begin my day by being Lord of every minute of it. I know the message you just heard was a great blessing to you, and I trust throughout this week you'll be able to apply it to your life. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned not only about people growing in their faith and being discipled by the Word of God, but also there may be some listening to us who don't know Jesus Christ personally. They know about Jesus. They may be in a religion, but they don't know him personally. And Jesus tells us through the disciple John, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the child of God. In other words, you need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. 
The reason you need to do this is because all of us are sinners, and the Bible tells us that sin will put us in a bad place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then Romans 6, 23 says, But the wages of that sin, the wages of any little sin, any little lie that you say, the wages of sin is death, that spiritual death, that separation from God. That means that you won't go to heaven at the end of your life. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift... The gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you need to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can do that by confessing to God that you are a sinner and you need grace, that you need a Savior, and ask Him to come into your life as I did many, many years ago. He did, and God changed my life and allowed me to have a life that's been very fulfilling over all these years. And we're giving away this copy of The Greatest Commandment, and if you want your copy, please write to Canis National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And you can find past programs of Canis National Bible Hour on our website, which is missiongo.org. M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. I trust God will bless your life and draw you close to him throughout this week. 